Hi, I'm Mark Brody, and this is the Friday Newscap Podcast. Each week, we review the biggest stories with experts, reporters, and commentators to put the news in perspective. Here's this week's episode. It is time for the Friday Newscap and some voices from the news this week. Trump posted on Truth Social that he got word Sunday he's a target of the January 6th grand jury, and he says that means he is likely to be indicted. But Trump didn't say what exact charges are in play or when they might happen. Attorney General Dana Nessel said the 16 defendants gathered in the basement of what was then the Republican Party headquarters. They allegedly signed a memo falsely stating that they were Michigan's official Electoral College members when they were not. The best thing for the students is to learn English quickly, then to go into the regular classroom and succeed academically and then succeed in the economy. If they're stuck in dual language and they don't learn English, they're going to fail in the economy. Gallego outraised uh, cinema. You know, Gallego is a player in the house, too, so he has the ability to tap into those same sources that cinema does. ASU failed to mention the deans also warned me that the speakers must not talk, quote, about higher education or anything that could be deemed as political or turned into a political platform, end quote. This morning, I'm joined by two top-notch political consultants from both sides of the aisle. We've got Democratic strategist Tony Connie with Slingshot Campaigns and Doug Cole, COO of High Ground Consulting. Good morning to you both. Thanks for coming in. Good morning. Good morning. Okay, so let's begin with who else? Donald Trump, of course. Expects to be indicted for a third time sometime soon here, this time in special counsel Jack Smith's January 6th grand jury. We, of course, don't know what those potential charges could be, but it looks like it could be obstruction charges related to his actions leading up to January 6th. Let me begin with you and your kind of uh, pulse on this. Doug, what do you think? Well, here we go again. You know, I'd rather be here. Here we are at the end of July. I'd rather be talking about the Oppenheimer movie or the Barbie movie. But here we are (laughs) talking about Donald Trump and his legal woes. So uh, what's interesting about this, this um, which makes it different from the Florida case, um, which, by the way, this morning that 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 case was scheduled to to go to trial in May mm-hmm. of next year, mm-hmm. or March or May, of May, May, yeah. May, yeah, May of next year, uh, which would put it right in the middle of the um, of the uh, primary season uh, for for the former president. But this venue is now in Washington D.C., mm-hmm. and the grand jury is a Washington D.C. grand jury, uh, which I think most most could uh, gather would be an easier indictment uh, 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 scenario and environment uh, for the special prosecutor Jack Smith. And uh, this isn't going to change anybody's mind. Um, Trump supporters are Trump supporters. And, the, you know, the, the narrative that the government's after me, they're trying to squelch, they're trying to squelch uh, uh, my, my political career and, 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 the, and the people that stand behind me. Mm. And um, I, it's just not going to change anything. And uh, it's just going to make, make the political season uh, more complicated than it already is. But the narrative really does not change, in, in my view. Mm. Tony? I think it's going to make it an issue in the Republican primary about whether or not the other candidates are going to say if they're going to pardon Trump or not. And and so I think it's going to be very hard for the candidates that are trying to earn some of his voters and and, and still pull from the Republican base. I think it's going to be a challenge. Like this is going to be a thing they're going to have to talk about. And and. The more information that's going to come out about this, I think that the public looks at this and they think, oh, this is about 
what was happening at the Capitol that day. But really, it's about what was happening the month, two months before that happened. And Mm -hmm. especially here in Arizona, where we played a central role in a lot of the planning that was happening with Congressman Biggs and 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 uh, Representative Fincham and and all that stuff. And so, like, this is going to be a thing that's going to be talked about nationally, but I think it's going to impact things locally here in Arizona, too, with these races. That's well, really interesting. Yeah, yeah absolutely. To, to your point, uh, both Congressman Gosar and Congressman Biggs, it's been widely reported and documented that in December of, of uh, 2020, they were at the White House. And, and it appears from what's been linked out from the special counsel's office, a lot of it's focused on this December 18th meeting that was held uh, all night at, at the White House. And, and we had, you know, our members of our congressional delegation participating in these meetings. And then, as we know, shortly thereafter, calls were made not only by the president, but by Rudy Giuliani and and um, uh, Sidney Powell and others uh, to Rusty Bowers, uh, to Doug Ducey's office, um, you know, uh, to Karen Fan's office, who, you know, who were the who were the, the governor and the, and the speaker and the president at the time. So, yeah, we have we are. We are in central casting here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's always an Arizona angle, right? And we've got Yvonne Winget Sanchez at the at the Washington Post reporting that, of course, former Governor Doug Ducey has been telling donors that Trump pressured him to overturn the election. Now he's been uh, asked to be a witness in this case. I wonder. I mean, like Ducey aside, like Arizona being at the center of this. What, what you mentioned, Tony, that you thought this was going to play down here, affect things in local races, where? I just think that it's been, it's going to become a litmus test mm. in all of the other Republican races where it will be, you know, a couple of years, you know, in 2022, it was who is willing to shout the loudest that the election was stolen, which is a thing that, you know, I think the majority of people are very frustrated with and are tired of. And I think that in this year, it's going to be about that. I mean, there's already a lot of discussions about whether or not the winner of the presidential race thinks that uh, that that the January 6th defendants and people who are convicted should be pardoned. Mm-hmm. And that's going to just start to trickle down. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, I just I think that from a purely political perspective, the more that Republican candidates talk about this stuff is good for Democrats because they're not addressing important issues. And we learned that big time in 2022. Mm-hmm. It's just not good for the health of our you know, of civics, of our democracy, for us to have this very narrow focus on something that I think is important, but it's just, but the, but these Republican candidates in Arizona, they can't get past it. They can't get past Trump. How does Trump poll right now, Doug, in Arizona? Like, is it changed at all? Does this help him in some ways? He still, he still has his, his core base and um, he's still clearly the front runner here. Um, and I anticipate unless something really changes in, in one of these, I think, what is there now, 20-some people running in the Republican, uh, on the Republican mm-hmm. side, something close to that number uh, emerges. We, you know, everyone was, had a lot of money on, on the alternative being Ron DeSantis from the governor of Florida. His, his star is, is, uh, is not as bright as it used to be. But um, um, no, it, I don't see much changing here with the core supporters. And of course, in the crowded field, Donald Trump prevails mm. because there's not, not a one-on-one. When it comes to those candidates, like the litmus test that Tony's talking about, Doug, do you think that at some point they have to confront him, they have to take him on, or is this like playing nice all along? Well, I think at some point, I think that, and, and Tony brought up a good point about uh, will will they pardon Donald Trump uh, if they're elected? Uh, that is a darn good question. They're going to have to start answering that. And they're also going to have to 
uh, answer and come up with a strategy on on the the losing dynamic of election denialism. Mm-hmm. Um, that is Tony's correct. That that just does not pull well mm-hmm. with, with the general electorate. And as we now know and have seen in the last two weeks, Arizona is now a majority of of party not disclosed independent voters. Mm-hmm. They're they're the biggest. And that just does not pull well. So I don't see how that that's a that's a recipe for success. So on the Democratic side, then, Tony, how are candidates thinking about these issues as they head into the next election? You know, one of the challenges is that a lot of Democratic candidates are tired of talking about Mm. this. They don't want to talk about this anymore. And then you have a political hack like me who says, (laughs) I think we should be baiting these Republicans into talking about this more. Mm. (laughs) Right. Just because it reveals, you know, there's some who are savvier and know they shouldn't talk about this stuff. And so the Republicans, so they're being very careful. And I do think that it's, you know, you know, I like trying to force people to do it. But, <laughs> but, the, but, the, but what's happening, I think the Democrats um, who have a winning plan know that there are real good things that have happened with this economy that voters aren't feeling yet. Mm. Um, you know, there's infrastructure investments that voters haven't really understood the benefits to their lives yet. And so Democratic candidates are going to talk a lot about that stuff and they're going to use that as a contrast point to these cultural issues and Trump issues that Republicans are going to be only able to focus on. Okay. A couple of minutes before the break, I want to talk about one other story here related. Um, uh, So Michigan's attorney general filed felony charges this week against 16 fake electors in that state. Uh, uh, Again, Yvonne Winget Sanchez at the Post is confirming that Attorney General Chris Mays is in the midst of an investigation into this here. There were 22 here. Um, What do you think about this, Doug? Like, is this going to become an issue? Well, it absolutely is an issue. Um, and um, um, it, I, I must say, though, it isn't it great to have a, a Washington Post reporter that's based here in Arizona. Yeah. Yes. And <laughs> <laughs> she's breaking all kinds of stories all the time. So good for her. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that's how it should be. But but no, this is a problem. Um, those 16 electors uh, in, in Michigan, they did exactly what happened here at, at Arizona State Republican Party headquarters. Almost the same characters. You had the, the Michigan uh, a party chair, just like we had Kelly Ward here with her husband. You know, all 11 electors here uh, that were on the ballot uh, for, for Donald Trump in 2020, they all convened, as we all know, down to state party headquarters on December 14th, I think it was, and, and, and did what their own lawyer in writing said were, were fake electors. Mm-hmm. And, and he actually corrected himself, said, no, we'll just call them alternative electors. So I would not be sleeping well at night if I was one of those 11, uh, former, uh, former party chair Kelly Ward, Kelly Ward, her husband, now Senator uh, 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 Anthony Kern, uh, Senator Jake Hoffman, um, Jim Lemon, who ran, for, who ran uh, for, for Senate. So I would not be sleeping well because there is a pretty clear roadmap of what Michigan did. Obviously, you got to look at Michigan laws, mm-hmm. but um, uh, there's a roadmap, and, and uh, if, if that reporting is true— I I would be having some sleepless nights if I was those folks. They they charged him with felonies, six felonies apiece. Felonies, yeah. Tony, do you think our Democratic Attorney General here is on that track? I think she's investigating it, but I also think that they. And I'm not trying to say she's not doing, but like this is a sensitive thing. Like I think that there is some political risk in investigating this, and so they're being very careful about it. If she starts to pursue charges, I think that that there's. It means that it's a slam dunk. And mm-hmm. I, I think that there is really strong evidence that has been coming out for the past couple of years, whether it's the text messages that Mark Fincham released to try and prove that he wasn't an active participant in January 6th. Those text messages actually showed that he was commiserating with 
the person who invented this rally, Ali Alexander and Congressman Biggs, to get these these forged fraudulent documents into the hands of the vice president and into the hands of of uh, of senators. And, you know, I it's it's just that other states in the documents that they sent to Congress, they sent to the archives, they put a caveat in there where it said, you know, in case uh, fraud is discovered or this mm, or that or that, mm-hmm. you know, they had these things. But in Arizona, not in Arizona, they, they didn't. chose, you know, huh. because we're the real deal. They chose not to put that caveat in there. And I think that that's material to uh, potential charges. And, and to close this off, um, because it is related, uh, you know, the Freedom Caucus here in Arizona has has been, you know, the the at the tip of the spear of election denialism. Uh, and that's ha- headed by uh, Senator Hoffman, who who was one of these electors. But interestingly enough, in, in a recording that was just uh, released and, and reported this week uh, for uh, a, a vacancy in, in uh, one of the Senate seats in the, in the state legislature, um, the candidate that was ultimately chosen told the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors that, that uh, she doesn't follow uh, the, the Freedom Caucus because what they've been doing, mm-hmm. i.e. On this, on this issue, um, is not a winning strategy and is and very well may cost the how the state house and the state senate to be turned over to the Democrats. Hmm. I thought that was very revealing. I'm joined this morning by Doug Cole with High Ground Consulting and Democratic strategist Tony Connie. Thanks you both for being here. Glad to be here still. <laughs> We're still here. We're still here. The air okay. conditioning work. Yeah, the, the air, air conditioning, conditioning works. It's sort of working in the studio. Uh, yeah, yeah sort we'll of. Get, get to that in a minute. <laughs> All right, so I want to start with this segment with a, a little bit more local politics. We've got Chris Mays, who's been making a lot of headlines of late, and she's currently in something of a battle with returning Republican Superintendent of Public Instruction Tom Horn over his threatened lawsuit over dual language programs. This goes back a long way into Arizona political history when Horn was superintendent the first time ago, like, what, 20 years ago? It was 20 years ago, I think. And even the GOP legislature since then sort of softened the rules around the dual language programs. Now, this is sort of the the issue at hand. I want to start with you on this, Tony, because I think Mays has been so interesting to watch. Um, do you think she's right? She's going after saying like Horn does not have the authority to do this. Do you do you think that that's going to be a legitimate thing and and she might shut this down? Yeah, I, I think that she, I think that she's right, and I think that you know there is a question about whether or not she's right. But what I think the difference is is that the attorney general is going to start challenging these things so that there is some clear opinion that's coming out of the courts about what what is appropriate, what isn't appropriate. Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing is that part of it is to provide stability for the parents and the schools that have been already offering these programs because, you know, what the superintendent wanted was basically to, like, knock this all out and then it's done. I mean, the Republic had a, a story that was like what parents need to know about this that was essentially reassuring them, hey, your kids are still going to be able to go to the programs that they're involved in. Mm-hmm. And so I, I I do think so. And, and you know, this is what the attorney general has said she was going to do when she was running and now she's she's doing it. Yeah. Doug, what's your take here? Yeah. Well, I remember all the centers around uh, the 2000 from the year 2000, Prop 203, which, which just said Students generally said students must be taught in English. The English only law, and, yeah. Yeah, but but her ruling is not on that. Her ruling is is can can does the superintendent have the authority mm-hmm. to shut this down? And she ruled no. It, it, it's a policy of the state board of education. They're the ones with the authority. And what's interesting about this? All that's based on a 2019 law. So just 
number of years ago yeah. that 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 Governor Ducey signed and came out of the legislature unanimously, uh, laying out the path on on how school districts can administer these programs. So uh, it's it's very complicated, but but uh, it will continue, and I assume that that. Uh, that the, super, the, the superintendent Horn, who used to be the attorney general also, mm-hmm. uh, and he's playing attorney <laughs> general now, um, I think that uh, I think that he'll probably uh, figure out a path and, and find some people to help uh, fund uh, a lawsuit against mm-hmm. this because at the end of the day, the attorney general is still, you know, represents the Department of Education, mm-hmm. of which <laughs> Tom Horn heads. So mm. make makes life a little interesting. What I think is so interesting about this, you sort of got out there, Doug, is like the the this goes back so far into Arizona history. When voters passed Prop 300, it was a very different like political landscape, a very different immigration landscape than we're seeing today. Or was it that different? I guess, Tony, is my question. What would happen today, you think? Well, I don't know. I mean, I think that I, I don't I don't know the answer to that question. Mm-hmm. I, I, I do think that if we look at the last election and the way that voters were so willing to provide, you know, common sense, uh, you know, support for dreamers. I do mm-hmm. think that there is when it comes to a majority of Arizonans, more support for, um, you know, for, you know, for the, the sort of diverse state that we live in. You know, the question is, we do have a resurgence of candidates that are willing to make this sort of their full issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I, you know, I guess when I, I'm sort of hedging, but I think that it could become a a hot issue that 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 Republicans drive, but I think that I, I would think that the majority of Arizonans would probably be on the side of this type of program. What do you think, Doug? Yeah, I th- you know things have changed immensely uh, here in the, since uh, Prop Two or Three passed in two thousand. You know, twenty three here, twenty three years later, population has changed. You know, in the two thousand, every you know, this was a strongly strong, bright red state. Yeah, we're now purple. And and as we mentioned earlier, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the Republican Party is not the dominant party anymore in Arizona. It's now it's now independence and party not disclosed. So, think you know things are different. It's a little bit it, it's the, these type of things don't have the gas behind them to the general electorate in a general election mm-hmm. in a presidential year. Now to primary voters in in off cycles, yeah. That's this is all red meat. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, I want to move on to talk about campaign finance reports, which are sort of a barometer, early barometer of what's happening in the 2024 campaign. Which I know November of 2024 is very far off to a lot of us, but probably not that far off to you too. <laughs> so let's talk about how some of these races are shaping up. I want to obviously we have to start with the Arizona Senate race, and we don't even know the way who's running in this race, and that could very well change the game. But right now we're seeing Democrat Ruben Gallego. Um, outraising Kirsten Cinema by quite a bit um, again. And, and you know, you've got Politico talking about big momentum with Gallego's campaign. What do you think, Tony? The, the I think this is a big momentum moment. And one of the things that people who are closer to this know is that there are a lot of traditional donors that would be donating to a Democratic Senate candidate that are holding back because they aren't sure what uh, you know, the, what Schumer and the, and the National Republicans are going to do in this race. Mm-hmm. Yet, despite that, Ruben Gallego was able to raise this much money, a lot of it coming from small donors who are giving monthly, who are repeatedly giving. That means that he can go back to those donors and ask for more money, which they will give. And so I think that this is very strong. Uh, you know, I, the math, when you're looking at the polling, shows that he's in a good position. People have been wondering, though, whether or not he could put up, he could handle 
the cinema fundraising and in the shows that he has. Now, look, cinema is going to be able to raise a bunch of money. It, it seems to me like she just maybe wasn't raising as much as she normally does. She has a bunch of money in the bank. Right. Too. She's yeah. got a ton in the bank. And part of this is because she's been on that finance committee forever. And so she gets that banking money mm. and that's going to keep coming in. Um, but I think that if I think that anybody who's been doubting whether or not Ruben Gallego is a strong candidate for Senate, I think this is this is more evidence that he is. How does Ruben Gallego, though, play Doug on a like a broader level in Arizona among more than just Democrats? Well, he's he's got to speak to the that largest group of people in Arizona. He's got to bring those independents over. Otherwise, there's no path for him to win. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, she, but, you know, Kirsten Cinema's polling numbers are horrible right now. I mean, they they are. She's way down. Mm. Um, and I would be very concerned. But she does have, as you as Tony mentioned, she, she does have eleven million dollars in the bank. Um, but she's also burning through a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and being an independent, she really, you know, she she doesn't have a primary. She just has to turn in, you know, hundred um, tens of thousands of signatures uh, by this time next year. Mm-hmm. So she can really just wait and hold off to see if Ruben implodes. Mm-hmm. Um, he's running a great campaign right now, but he is a progressive, and he's going to have to figure out a path how how to get how to win in the general election in a purple state like Arizona. Uh, where the where the majority of the of the folks that are going to be in the polling booths are independents and party not disclosed. What about Doug, the Republican side of this potential ticket? We've got Mark Lamb right now, but that's about it. And there's a lot of talk about many other high profile candidates jumping in. And I think people are just trying to, and the Republican side are trying to figure out uh, what Carrie Lake's going to do mm-hmm. because you know she's that's that's she's the Donald Trump of Arizona, right? Um, but you know, Mark Lamb. You know, I got to give him credit. He did raise $600,000, which is more than Mark Brnovich did this time two years ago when he was running for Senate mm-hmm. and he was the sitting attorney general. So, you know, that's that's got a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of runway to play out uh, on the Republican side. And, and we need to just see what uh, a lot of people are sitting on the sidelines you know, trying to figure out what Carrie Lake's going to do. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so before I let you both go, I want to ask you about one thing that everyone is talking about, not political at all, but the heat, of course. (laughs) And maybe it is political. I bet you two could find a political angle to it. But, I mean, we're in this insanely hot, record-breaking streak right now. I wonder, like, does this make us all look crazy to the rest of the world? (laughs) (laughs) Does that turn political? Well, I think a lot of people, you know, and you had Hank... uh, Hank on uh, Stephenson on earlier talking about how the New York Times since the 1860s has <laughs> have reported Arizona weather, but but you know we are a wonderful vibrant city. Um, you know we don't make a lot of fun of Chicago in the middle of January. We don't make fun of Green <laughs> Bay in the middle of January. You know it's hot here in July. It's always been hot here in July. I'm a fourth generation Arizonan. It's hot, okay, <laughs> and and you just you just plow through it. But I think it it, it adds to political punditry. Where people say, no wonder Arizona is the way it is politically because uh. their brains are fake. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe there is some truth to that. Last word on this, Tony. I think the new, it's a dry heat for us mm. is going to be, you know, it's the lows that are bad, not the highs. Because ah. I think that's the big distinction that people are missing, which is that it's just not cooling off. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's tough. I, I, uh, you know, we, we just had our first kid like three weeks ago. Oh, so I think that maybe she's the reason this happened because... <laughs> Since she's been a part of uh, the world that's been this hot, she hasn't really been outside. <laughs> so I really would like it to cool off a little bit so that we can, uh, yeah. you know, 
go outside just for a couple of minutes. And maybe look a little less crazy, all right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Tony Connie, Democratic strategist with Slingshot Campaigns and Doug Cole with High Ground joining us. Thank you both for coming on, as always. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks for, thanks having, for having, us. having us. Have a great weekend. Stay cool. You've been listening to the Friday Newscap from KJZZ's The Show. It's an original podcast recapping the week's biggest stories with experts, commentators, and reporters. You can get the full show podcast at podcast.kjzz.org. I'm Mark Brody. Thanks for listening.